The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Christians, we do this thing called a life verse. Anyone have a life verse? Right? Life verses are always the ones that go on coffee cups. No one ever picks the life verse that says, like, David peed on the side of a cave wall. Right? Just so we're clear. Um, if you would have asked me, or if you ask me now today, what my life verse is, or my favorite verse in the Bible, it's in this chapter. It's Psalms chapter 16, verse 11. I think it is the best verse in the Bible, is my opinion. You can disagree with me. You can stick with your verse with David and the wall. Now, there are only a few verses that, for me, capture the essence of what following Jesus is all about. And today, this chapter we're going to look at is very pertinent for our times. Does anyone else feel like our times are very uncertain? Like, when was the last time that a hurricane the size of a state went over a state? And then right around that same time, there was a massive earthquake in Mexico. And in brewing in the Pacific is potentially the biggest typhoon in recorded history. And then there are Christians getting run out of Egypt and beheaded and killed and persecuted. And then we are here this morning drinking coffee, pretending everything is okay, at a church where we know it's not okay to pretend you're okay. This is the one place where you can come and bring your garbage because we all have plenty of it. This morning we're going to talk about what it means to build our lives on something that is unshakable because everything around us feels shakable. This morning we're going to talk about what it means to find our refuge in God because we need a refuge from the uncertainties and the things that drive us to fear in this life. And your, your instability, your shaking ground of your life could be from a myriad of things. You could have children who are off the deep end. I just went uh, out last night Pokemon hunting with my boys. And if, for those of you who forgot, there, there used to be a game that we all used to play where we'd walk around like zombies bumping into poles and cars. And we went out to Winthrop because there's a bunch of these free Pokemon things that my kids do there. So I literally just drive around getting one MPG to the gallon so my boys can get fake fake Pokeballs. But while I was there, um, there was homecoming going on, right? Like, there's nobody here from homecoming last night. There's a few people I see that were at homecoming. But here's the thing. I've got a four-year-old girl, and then I've got a potential girl in the womb of my wife, um... And I just looked at these homecoming things and thought, no, Lord, this life is too uncertain. The, the foundations of my world, just thinking about it, and I'm, I'm half joking, half serious, because Halloween is coming up, you guys, and I, I set out my life goals as a father. Um, Halloween terrifies me as a dad. It was thrilling to me as a single young man, like way back decades ago. But now as a dad, it didn't make a difference. Like I had boys, I was like, cool, you're going to be Thor, you're going to be the Hulk, you're going to be Captain America, you're going to be this. And then all of a sudden, my beautiful Savannah popped out. And I thought, what do girls dress up as for Halloween? Nuns? Is that it? I can't think of anything else. And now as she's getting older, I'm getting more uncertainty in the parenting phase of things. I have uncertainty with... uh, you know, with my wife and health stuff. And I have uncertainty with politics. I, that's why I just don't even like talking about them because it drives me nuts. But today we're going to look at a passage that will give us a path to find refuge in God and to find an unshakable foundation. So, so we're going to read a little, talk a little. 
Chuck, you got me? Because I've been using this, the fake Bible, but I had to go back to a real Bible because these scrolly Bibles, they drive my finger crazy, and I'm getting this weird callus just from scrolling. So we're going to read the word and pray and jump in. Psalm 16, starting in verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood will not pour out or take their name on my lips. Verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night, and also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Best verse in the Bible right here, guys. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand. Our pleasures forevermore. Okay, now I'm going to pray this thing in, then we're going to dive in. Father, for too long, I have run after wrong things. God, for too long, we have run after wrong things, and then we question when our life falls apart, why it's falling apart. God, for too long I have sought out joys that are not full joys, but weak joys and temporary pleasures in place of your eternal full joy and pleasure. Lord, I pray that today you would crack hearts open so that we could see you for who you are, so that we could see life through your eyes and understand that we have an unshakable, unbreakable, unmovable foundation. So do this, Lord, I pray. Open our eyes to see. Open our ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Refuge. How do we define refuge? Anybody? I'm, I'm going to do this today. I know I don't normally do this, but I'll wait. Because I used to be a middle school teacher, so I could do this. Safe place. Okay. So how many of you have a refuge in your home? Show of hands. Any of you have a refuge? Okay. Notice, hardly any mothers with children raise their hands. Okay? A refuge is a safe place. Many of us, I believe, we need to find a space where we can be safe, and it's probably not going to be your closet. Your closet is only safe until your children learn how to pick locks and they get a lock picking kit off of eBay. Then you're unsafe. When David is writing this psalm, he says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. There is this, there's this thing that we do in Christianity where we make God abstract and we forget that he is a physical refuge, that he is a spiritual refuge, an emotional refuge. And, and one of the joys that I have, and I'm, this might be a little long, but I wanted to share this because um, there's two people that get these sort of letters. It's teachers and pastors, and I've been both and I love it. And this letter I received uh, from a, a young girl, and she was six years old when this happened. And this is not anything good about me. I had no idea what I was doing. And 10 years later, she wrote me this letter uh, during her freshman year of college. She says this, when we were at Carlsbad Community Church, that's a church where I became a follower of Jesus, 
one day a long time ago. It was on the south side facing the baseball fields, and the buses had come for the high schoolers. Michael, Chad, Cindy, and Daisy. Dad, her dad, was running around campus taking care of administrative stuff. Mom wasn't there. It's all a blur now. I just remember there were dozens of intimidating high school kids covered in duct tape, shouting, music, and six-year-old me was feeling lost in the mix. So do you feel the craziness of this? Like, high schoolers are already intimidating. You cover them in duct tape because the theme for camp that year was duct tape man. So they all made superhero costumes out of duct tape. And this little six-year-old Annabelle is freaking out. And I had no idea because I, I was the junior high uh, interim pastor at this time. And she says, apparently, I look just as lost as I felt. Because I remember, as clear as day, he walked up to me, my Uncle Ryan, my giant 10 feet tall, now she was only six, so this is what she wrote, 10 feet tall, 20-something year old, I don't agree with the rest of this description, jet black hair, the biggest smile, and the kindest, most comforting eyes in the world. Yes, I do agree with that, actually. That's me. He, He spread his arms out over me laughing and said, stay under my wings, Annabelle. I'm protecting you. And then he marched me around in circles, laughing and talking about all the things a 20-something-year-old guy talks about with a six-year-old girl. He kept me company till the music and the shouting stopped, till the bustle faded and every last bus had gone. He took my whole world in his hands in that instant, and I felt so safe and at home. Annabelle was this big. Now she's this big and married. Odd how things go. Life moves on. I haven't seen Uncle Ryan in a long time. He left, and I didn't even realize what had happened. And then this morning came, a decade later and 3,000 miles away. Someone was blasting metal in the next dorm. People were shouting and laughing. The stress and the pressure of school was weighing in. She went to college when she was 16. 16-year-old me was feeling lost in the mix. And so I prayed. The first thing that came to my mind, almost without thinking, I prayed, God, let me find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And as the words came involuntarily out of my mouth, Uncle Ryan came sauntering back to me. I felt every bit six years old again, and his arms were stretched out, and I craned my neck back to look up and see his smile. In that moment, I was safe again, sitting on my dorm room floor. I heard God's voice. He promised, I will protect you. I will be your Uncle Ryan and so much more. Stay under my wings, Annabelle. I don't know when I'll see Uncle Ryan again, but in a roundabout way, he showed me the Almighty today, and that's a legacy that will stay with me until we meet up again in eternity. I mean, when I first got that, I was a hot mess. If you're a teacher in this room, right now you're like, (laughs) I can feel it, right? And this is, I hadn't seen her for 10 years, and this letter just pops up one day when she's in college struggling, and she said, I wrote this, I wanted to share it with you. I had no idea that I was covering people. As much as I'm goofy now, just subtract 20 years. It only was worse going back in history. It was me, probably with duct tape on my own, just saying, Annabelle, come on, I'll keep you safe. And me doing that got her through a transition into college, six years old to 16. This is what a refuge is. That moment where you feel wrapped and safe. Some of us don't have that in our own homes. Some of us don't have that in our own lives. Some of us feel like everything around us is not safe and not stable. And this is what David is getting at. He says, in you I take refuge. So literally we have to figure out how do we get in God. And that's what this passage is going to lead us through. 
I want to I look at a couple of things. We're going to jump down to verse 5. He says this, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. The Lord. Now, this is difficult for some of us to understand because we only use the word cups and portions when it comes to baking and Thanksgiving and Christmas. We rarely talk about what a portion is. In our culture, portion is followed by the word control and not followed very well. But that's the only place that it occurs usually. What's your portion? And if we say, God, I want you to be my cup, we don't understand exactly what that means. Now, in this time, wine was their uh, drink of choice. And it meant a good experience, a joy-filled moment. And that's why I'm a huge fan of, of doing communion, not in this bigger gathering, but in smaller groups. And it doesn't have to be just a little uh, pack and plays. Last night for my Monday night Bible study, I, I baked homemade bread again, the bread that I made for you guys, except now I'm getting better at it. So it's bigger, fluffier, crustier. And we just sat there and ate it. And one of the guys that was at the Bible study, he ate literally half a loaf of bread by himself. And I said, I'm not going to throw his name out there. So we'll just call him Frank for metaphorical purposes. <laughs> Frank, you got to stop eating all this bread before people get here. Um, that wasn't a metaphor, but he's out hunting, so I know he's not here with a gun. He's somewhere else with a gun. <laughs> I can get away with that. Otherwise, Florida people scare me. But, but we took in God as our portion, and we were recalling a few things. Before anyone else got there, it was me and Frank and, and his wife, Linda. We were just hanging out talking about God and life and eating bread and saying, this is so good. And every time Frank grabbed that bread, he, I wasn't saying this, he wasn't saying this, but I kept thinking, man, this is so cool. Frank needs a lot of Jesus. And so do I. So I grabbed more bread and I dipped it in olive oil and I ate it. And I grabbed and dipped and ate. That's how communion should be. And this is what it means when it says that we want to uh, take God in as our portion and cup. We want him to be our joy, our experiences, we want to find our excitement in him. And this is something that we as followers of Jesus are very, very bad at. Oftentimes, one of the things I hear when I'm telling people, hey, do you want to come follow Jesus? They say, I don't want to follow Jesus because there are too many rules or it's so boring. And I understand, you guys, I understand that church can be boring. Sometimes I'm terrified up here, like on a morning like today, for whatever reason, we have less kids and we have a few like preteens that I've never seen before. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I have to be engaging to preteens and teenagers and 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds who love Facebook. I can't talk as fast as Facebook can scroll. And I can tell those of you who are on Facebook because the Bible is a white light and Facebook is a blue light on your chin. Okay? So I, I see you, but I'm asking you, how do I, as a, a shepherd, give you, God, as your portion and joy, your excitement and love? Well, there's a, a few ways that we can do this. But before we do, I, we need to understand that, that this world is so unstable, which is why these verses, I love these verses, like in verse 8, it says, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Because this world is a shaky world in, in every sense. So, so uh, where's my nerds at? Hey, my nerd. I just, I'm talking to you, Chris, right here. So, Chris, check this out, buddy. 150 years ago, physicists would have said that, that all of our world was made up of solid matter. But today, 
all physicists agree that, that all of our matter is actually made up of energy that's slowly moving, and because of the law of thermodynamics, it's actually deteriorating and changing from one form to the other. Even this ground we are on is actually in motion and moving. It is not as stable as it feels. And if it does feel stable for you, I can give you guys some exercises. If you're a female, go get pregnant. You'll feel, out what, you'll feel what instability feels like for that first trimester. That's where my wife's at now. If you see her, I would not sit in front of her to save your life. It's dangerous. That's you, Greg. Sorry. Okay. Um, because nauseousness, right? We've got, by the way, sidebar, we've got two pregnant people in the chapel, and it comes in threes. Be warned, all of you people who make babies. Okay. This, everyone's like, no. The wives look at their husbands like, I'll kill you. It's okay. I'm just, it's a forewarning. But, but the physical nature of the world, there's no physical stability. Our earth is hurtling through the cosmos right now, spinning in circles right now. And at some point or another, either our sun's going to die and all life on this planet will be ended, or, or uh, global warming Whatever that is, I'm not a scientist. I don't know if it's true or not. All I know is that there's a gangbuster load of crazy natural disasters lately. My home state, half of it's been on fire for the last month. This state, now my current resident state, had a storm bigger than I've ever seen go over us. And then Mexico got ripped apart by an earthquake. This world is not a physically stable world. In the same way that this world doesn't have any physical foundations that are uh, not shakable. This world doesn't have any intellectual foundations. All of the intellectual foundations of this world shake a lot. Walk with me here. If you're, um, if you're, if you think you're older than me, my age or older, this is going to make so much crazy sense to you. Um, things that we thought were normal and acceptable when we were growing up, people now look at and say, that's hateful, bigoted, ignorant, and stupid. And this is 20 years I'm talking here. Like 20 years ago, the things that today we say are normal, 20 years ago, you, were a, you, you would have been a normal person. Now you're a fool, a back-minded, slow, regressive person. And that's in 20 years because we live in the Twitter generation. Everything's moving faster now. And what's crazy to me is that now, some, for some reason, most of us, and we all do, we're guilty, I'm guilty, you're guilty of this, we think we've arrived at the pinnacle. Now, just, I want us to just take an honest look around and say, are we going to look back 50 years from now and be like, hey, as a human race, we really made it to the pinnacle of intellectual stardom back there in 2016, 2017. I don't think anyone's going to say that. I think that 50 years from now, we're going to look back and say, whoa. I think our kids are going to look back and say, hey, uh, grandma and grandpa were crazy for believing some of this stuff. Because physicists are going to discover new things. Culture is going to continue to change. One of the things that, that, um, that we talk about in churches a lot, and it's a hot-button issue, and I don't want to bring up just a hot-button issue, but I think it's important for us, um, is the, the thing that Christians do. Abor- we talk about abortion. We talk about sexuality. And one of the things that people ask me all the time, like, what's your view on abortion? And the uh, first thing I say is this. I don't think abortion is going to be around for a, a, an extended period of time. And they say, why not? And I say, well, because, because science, like the more we see babies more clearly when they're developing, the harder it will become, just not even on the spiritual realm of things. When you see that baby, it is hard for you to kill the baby because science. And there was a period in time where they said, well, no, it's not this, it's that, it's not really a baby, it's a clump of developing things. But I'll tell you what, when you're 
a, a new dad or mom, and all of a sudden there's a weird pain, I mean, you hop on Google like crazy to find out. And, and you try talking to someone that's gone through immense pain and the unfortunate loss of a child, whether in the womb or out of the womb. I mean, that is deep-seated spiritual realities that are wired into this process. Now, intellectually, we, we would, some would say today, well, no, it's, it's okay to do this, it's okay to do that. Um, it's, oh, men are women, women are men. You know, Boy Scouts now means boy-girl Scouts. Like all of these things. And, and you can ask me my opinion because there's a live Q&A. If you have a question or you just want to cuss me out, you can text that number right there. I won't read your bad words, but I'll read your questions. Any question, skeptics, believers alike, you send them in and we'll answer them at the end of service. Because here's the thing. Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, I don't care as long as I get good cookies. But I do care when someone tries to force me to go against something that I believe to be true. When their perception of what I should say begins to force me and compel me to, to say something that I disagree with. Because it's the intellectual foundations in our world are shaky. Which is why I want to come back to here. And I, I don't want to. I know I dipped my toe in the political pool and I shouldn't have because some of you got the engines going already. I want to come back to here because our culture will shift. As soon as Twitter dies and is replaced, as soon as Facebook dies and is replaced, they will die. There will be something else. Our ideas will change and morph. As soon as science makes uh, leaps in different areas, we're going we're gonna to change the way we think. It happens over and over again in every generation. Not a few generations ago, <laughs> what some of you think is normal is long past. And I think that it's good that we move forward and that we lean on science and faith and God's word as his truths revealed through creation. So there's also another type of unstable foundation. That is an emotional foundation. This world doesn't have physical foundations, intellectual foundations, and it does not have emotional foundations. This world eventually will take away everything that you love. Eventually. It's, if you didn't or haven't thought about that, it is coming. You're, you will die one day. Your stuff will decay one day. It, the flowers that we see, they rise and they fall. They're just on a little bit of a faster track than you and I. The Bible says that we are a vapor. Our relationships, we know, get broken. And if they're not broken through anger and, and malice and fights, they just get broken because of life. You know, one of the, the seasons that I love watching, and I tell some of you who have older kids from me, I say, I'm watching you to see how you handle these things. So I'm watching some of you who are launching your high schoolers out because I want to see how you do it. And then I watch your high schooler go to college and if they get jacked up, I find out what you did and I don't do that. <laughs> some of you, uh, some of you, I watch, I'm looking at you over here, Derek. I'm looking at you for that. I'm watching you. Some of you are, are going through different phases. You finally got rid of all your kids. That's my dream. I mean, I love my kids, but the day I get rid of all of them, I mean, I've, I already have a role model. He's sitting right over here, Ken Woods. You launch, he launches those kids out. He supports them. He loves them. And he says, you go fly. This nest is closed. <laughs> but he's a big softy. If they came back, he'd be like, just kidding, open. But no, you closed. <laughs> so I'm watching Ken. I'm like, oh, man, I like how these kids do this. I like how these kids do that. But eventually, these emotional things... All of the stability that we want to have emotionally. We want to be connected with our spouse, connected with our kids, connected to our neighbors. Life moves us. Kids grow up and move on. Now, the unfortunate thing is sometimes our emotional instability comes from our own foolishness. We let a marriage grow cold. And it, in case you wonder how that works, it doesn't just turn into a freezer overnight. 
a marriage grows cold one ice cube at a time, and you just let it sit on your relationship. And then all of a sudden, you look over one day, and you're thinking, I don't like you, know you, want to be near you. Let's just separate and go our own ways. Because this world cannot give you the emotional stability that you are longing for. So how do we find it? How do we find it? The key starts in in verse 4, so we're backing back up. The sorrow of those who run after another god shall multiply. So this notion of running after, it has this uh, connotation of panting like a deer or dog out of breath. Um, I want to know what you run after. Now, for those of you um, who can't tell, I'm not yet an exerciser. I've gone through so many exercise things trying to get in shape here in a different shape. But I just recently told a couple of the chapel family that are exercisers, I said, hey, uh, every time Amy gets pregnant, I want to get in the best shape of my life to make her feel miserable about all the weight she's gaining with the baby. So I just do like P90X or Insanity. But this time I'm doing something I've never done. I said, I want to run a half marathon. So I asked one of the runners, I said, okay, I'm going to run a half marathon. How do I start? And she said, well, how far have you run lately? And I said, from here to my car. So then I got this app called Couch to 5K, which 5K is a few K short already of a half marathon. So I don't know where this app's getting me. It's going to get me around my block. So I've started the app up about 12 times since I got it. And I got the original, legit, paid for it, $2.99 Google Play Store. And I go to my first workout and I read it, and it doesn't look hard. So I think, I don't need to do that today. It doesn't look hard. For 12 days in a row. Now, how do I skip to the advanced workouts so I could look at those and not do them? No, I'll go back to that. So I might start today. Don't hold me accountable to that because I don't like accountability when it comes to exercise. But, but I know how it's going to go. When I run, I'm not a small human. I, I weigh in at about 220 pounds on my driver's license, which is a lie. Um, I'm probably like 223 today because yesterday I went gangbusters on a bunch of food. And I got bad knees and I got asthma and allergies. In Florida, as a state, um, it's not just humidity in the air. It's like all the plants in Florida shoot out their little plant-making baby stuff all year long. So I will go, I'm going to go out running. I'm going to put on my, my knee patella straps. I'm going to put on my ankle brace. And I'm not a runner, so I don't have those shorts that go up real high and show off my thighs. Um, I got basketball shorts that turn into a swamp in Florida. It's a mobile swamp. And then I'm going to put my headband on because if I don't, the sweat's going to get into my eyes and burn my retinas. And then I'm going to put my phone on here so I could hear my 5K lady that I chose telling me, you stink even at this. Go back to the couch. (laughs) And I'm going to go run. And I'm going to do it today. And I promise you, my loop in my neighborhood, 0.75 miles, I will not make it around that without heaving like a dying St. Bernard in the Sahara Desert. Now you're thinking, that's so funny. Oh, man. Ryan, you should be a comedian. Go on. No. But here's, here's my problem with this. That picture that I just painted in your mind of my inability to exercise is how I see the majority of people in churches running today. And 
unfortunately, not even running after God. We run after other things. And then we do God on the side. And then we wonder, why is my life so unstable? Why is my life so shakable? Why is my life so uncertain? And here's the thing. I'm not telling you all to go be monks because I've met some monks and they are weird dudes. I've met people who just sit in rooms by themselves and they read the Bible and pray over and over. Those are weird people. So what I'm saying is this, though. Get your order right. Don't run after other things and do God on the side. Run after God and do the other things on the side. Because when I say other things, in in this culture it says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Like none of you, I don't think, are running after another God. None of you are saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to slay today. I'm going to just chase and serve Ganesh. If you don't know who Ganesh is, blue elephant on the taxis all over India. Because it's a God of like safety and good fortune or whatever. Or I'm going to go and I'm going to just follow Joseph Smith because golden tablets hid somewhere, that makes sense. Or I'm going to go follow Shiva, the goddess of destruction, although some of you do follow that god. I've seen your houses. <laughs> None of us are doing that. So, so why, what does this say? Why is David saying, yes, people are, are full of sorrow who run after other gods? In that culture, they had other gods. They had a god of sex, a god of beauty, a god of war, a god of money, a god of wheat, a god of success, a god of crops. And we don't call them gods, but don't we run after them the same way? I mean, it is so easy to run, which means spend the, the majority of our exertion running toward things that our culture tells us to run toward. It's so easy. And it's easy to do that. And then when life gets bad, we say, I need God. But we're just running. You can't stop us. Your momentum is going. When I played sports, I could stop more quickly. I could go this way to that way. Uh, now, I, I hurt my MCL literally on a paddleboard. This is how uncoordinated I am now. I fell off and hurt my, my MCL or whatever this ligament is in here. I, I could not turn to save my life right now. If somebody came in through that door and uh, started chasing me, first of all, I'm, I'm in the fight or flight. I'm more of a fighter, so I just punch them. But if I had to turn, I would tweak my leg and fall down. When I get going, just like with any of you guys, some of the the bigger guys in this room with me, when we get running, we don't stop quickly. I've seen some of you guys run as well. I've I've seen yesterday, my son Jackson was asked to play on a team that's a little bit older than him because they didn't have enough players. My son Jackson is eight. He's tall for his age, but he's not as tall as a 13-year-old. And the first time he went out against the blue team, he was on the red team, the red flames. He went out playing. He was running around. All of a sudden... Before my eight-year-old son was like a, a 75-year-old woman dressed as a 12-year-old. I mean, just a fully developed human, taller than him, bigger than him. And it was like a woman standing next to a kid. And Jackson did this. He ran into her, boom, and he looked up at her. And she looked down at him, and he looked at me. He said, Daddy, I ran into her. And I stopped. I said, yes, it's because she's bigger than you. That's what happens when a little thing runs into a big thing. Well, Daddy, what happens if you run into her? Then she stops. Because I'm a bigger thing, running into a littler thing. And the momentum of life works this way. 
if you're running after God, it's hard to all of a sudden stop and find stable ground. Or if you're running after other things, other gods, you're running after money, you're running after fame, you're running after security. Maybe you're running after church. Maybe you're running after an identity where people look at you and say, that's a good person, that's a great husband, that's a great wife, that's a great mom, that's a great kid, that's a great teenager, good grades, good sports, good athlete. Whatever you're running after, when that begins to let you down, your world will start to shake. So I'm not saying stop doing those things entirely, but make God your primary pursuit and learn how to incorporate the other things into your life. Don't run after other things and do God. Run after God and do other things. And until you get that order right, you will never find the stability that this verse points us to. The psalmist says, I've got to jump forward, in, the, in my most amazing favorite verse right now. And you're thinking, why is this verse so cool, Ryan? I'll tell you why. It says, you make known to me. God, you make known to me the path of life. So what's the path we should walk on? The path of life, not after other gods, but after uh, the God of the Bible for all of our worth and significance and value. And then it says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Here's why I love this. First off, because presence can be translated face. And if you grew up, when I grew up, you remember that saying, in your face? Do you remember that? Does anyone remember that? Okay, there's only like two 30-year-olds in here. You'd be like, in your face. And if you, uh, if you dunked on somebody, for those of you who did that, like me, you would dunk on somebody, and you come down, and they'd be looking at you all dejected, and you'd just be like, boom, you, put your, you could put your hand in front of them. And you could point at them. Mike, you've dunked on somebody. No, you haven't dunked on anybody. Never mind. You, you point at them, and you walk away. I just dunked on you in your face, man. Eat that. But I, I like this verse because it says, in God's face, in his presence, if you see God, there is the fullness of joy and pleasures, how long? Forever. Christianity, you guys, is the most pleasure-seeking, joy-seeking belief system that exists in the world. One of the guys that I love calls himself a Christian hedonist. I'm just a plain old hedonist. I want the greatest joy that I can have in this life, and I want the longest lasting pleasures. Now, here's what we do wrong. We instantly fire off what in our mind will give us joy and pleasure. So when I say pleasure, some of you hear something else, physical pleasures, marital pleasures, or non-marital pleasures. Both feel good, by the way. Um, I was lied to as a non-Christian. You know, people said, uh, when I came into the church, they said, well, sex is only for married people. It only feels good if you're married. And I grew up not in the church. So I'm like, no, no, I'm pretty sure I've done this before, and it's good either way. Um, so we need to stop lying to our youth about sex. God made it. It's good. Don't lie to them. Just show them how to use it so they don't burn the house down when they're married, in case I wasn't clear. And if you're not married and you're having sex, just know that that's the God you're running after. You're running after the God of, of sex and passion, and that's your primary pursuit. That's what you're panting after, like a, a St. Bernard in the desert. But when you come to see God face to face, there you will find greater joy than you've ever experienced. It's in those people who are marked by the truth of this verse. I see in their face when they go through difficult times a strength that I don't see in others. When, when marriages are struggling, when a health uh, diagnosis comes in, people that are rooted and grounded in this theology that God is our ultimate joy, and we have more pleasure in him than in anything else. It's in those people that I see strength and hope. It's in those people that I see a 
foundation that cannot be shaken or moved. And think about that word, pleasures forevermore. Have you ever thought about how long-lasting the pleasures we get to experience are? You guys, pleasure forever. And some of you, just whatever the most pleasurable thing is to you personally. It could be anything from uh, a physical encounter to like chocolate pie. Whatever is your pinnacle of pleasure, I want you to understand that you're going to have greater pleasures, fuller joys forever if we are seeing and in the presence, in the face of God. If we walk along His path that He shows us. So how, how do we walk along His path? Last week we looked at one of the Bible passages that, that talks about how perfect we have to be. And here's what I need you to know. If you're new, this may not make sense. But it is okay at the chapel to be jacked up, messed up. As a church body goes, um, I've had a great time. I love shepherding this place. And, uh, but one of the things that I'm resisting is just being a church for a church's sake. I don't want to be a church just so we can have a place to hang out on Sundays which is why I'm, I'm already in the planning mode. I've talked to a few people to go reach people who are far from God, to go out to where there are uh, drug issues and where there are prostitution issues and sex slavery issues and bring teams there just to pray and to love, not to be obnoxious, bullhorn yelling people. One of the things that we get wrong with Christianity is that now if I just stop right here and say, that's it. If you want to, if you want to know God, if you want to have full joy and everlasting pleasure, just look at his face, that's pretty uh, abstract. Now, I'll tell you a few things that are not abstract. You're not going to know God's presence and face apart from his presence and face. When Moses asked to see God's face, God said, if you, look, if you see me, Moses, you'll die. That's a, a key thing to remember. Because Moses said, God, show me your face. And God said, if I do, you'll die. Now we, because of Jesus, have a different access that Moses did not have. When Jesus came, he pulled away the veil and he brought in his person the presence of God. And I, I think we, we don't understand the gravity of the refuge that we have in him now. Because now, in the same way that I, I took Annabelle underneath me and played and said, I'll keep you safe. That was a, just a large man and his, his little niece just running around Scary high schoolers. And, and she, she said in that letter, right when I prayed that, I saw my Uncle Ryan coming again. And, and it's important to us that we understand that Jesus is a person, not just an idea. Jesus' presence is something that can be felt, not something that is far off. And if you've never felt it, there's no formula. Churches love formulas. We love acronyms and formulas and church growth things. All I can give you is this. If you don't know what it means to run after God, if you don't know what it means to see and be in His presence, the best way to start, to be honest, would just to text that number and say, hey, this is me. This is my number. I want to be in the presence of God because we've got men and women here who are ready to walk with you. And to say what one of our uh, guys said to another guy this weekend on Saturday Two men were meeting together to talk about mentoring and learning to be in the presence of God. And I love this. This is one of our elders. He grabbed this guy, took him to the beach, and said, you go over there for an hour with nothing 
and you just think about God, or I don't know what he said, but he literally sent a dude stranded on the beach. <laughs> and said, so you just go think about God. Now it's hard the first time you do that. But that's, that's the jog. You might need the couch to 5K version of spiritual growth. And, and that's going to look different for all of us. But it's not going to look isolated. It's going to be in community. If you don't know where to start, come to the Band of Brothers on Saturday morning at Cool Beans or Panera in, in Riverview if you live over that way on Sunday nights. That's tonight. If you need a small group and you don't have a small group, you can come to my group. I think I've got the best group at the chapel. Yeah, you guys can all disagree with me, but we measured the age of my group, and we are wiser than all the other groups at the chapel. I mean, some of the average age of y'all's groups are like 12 years old. In my group, we got the seasoning. Wisdom. That's on Monday nights, by the way. Shameless plug. Love to see you there. Because if you want to know the presence of God, you've got to be where God is, which is why we're going to the Red Roof Inn to try to minister and love and care for and provide free coffee and breakfast for prostitutes, drug dealers, pimps, sex traffickers. Because I know where the presence of God is. I've read this book enough times. He's with the poor and the needy. He's with the broken, that's some of you. He's with the hopeless, that's some of you. But we won't know, I won't know where you are until you can at least jot something down on a card and say, pray for this. You can hide for the rest of your life. It doesn't hurt me, but it hurts you and your family. Grieves the heart of God. And it will leave you running an endless race, panting after gods that will not satisfy. So, if you want full joys and everlasting pleasures, turn to Jesus. Not the Jesus that is angry with you, but the Jesus who died for you while you were still a sinner. If you don't know what it means to be in his presence, Man, don't just leave and say, I'll wait till next week to see if I can find his presence. Start this week. Start your spiritual run this week. I'll start my couch to 5K today. You start your spiritual run today. And it starts by you reaching out to somebody who's just the next step ahead of you on the walk with Jesus. And then be honest with them. There's no sense in hiding who we are. God knows anyway. So bring your stuff to someone you trust and say, how do I move forward? How do I walk toward him? Let's pray. God, I thank you for how good you are and how much you love us. Lord, I'm, I'm in awe of the way that you would set up our lives so that we get more joy the closer we get to you. And we get more pleasure the closer we get to you. So now I ask that you would be the thing we run after that you would displace the distractions, that anything in our lives that cause us to love you less and love that more, that we would learn to purge those things away, God, not as an act of, of knuckling down on spirituality, but just as an act of relationship. Help us to love you more by getting rid of the things that make us love you less. And Lord, help us to see and taste and savor the joy and the pleasures that are had when you are our number one. I love you. I thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and invite the ushers forward. Edwin's got a little cold today, so I will pray and bless this offering. You know what would be amazing today, you guys, is if today we gave in a way that reflected God's love for us, 
And as I've told you before, if you're new, you don't know this, I don't look at individual gifts at the chapel. I just look at the big number at the end. Because then I see what, we, what can we do to provide gospel services, to provide programs for children and teens, to provide uh, outings like the Red Roof Inn that we're going to do. Um, so that's what we give toward. You can give or not give, but I don't want you to give because you feel uh, like you're guilted into it or shamed into it or, or God will love you more because of it. God loves you right where you are 100%. If you write him a check for 10 cents, he loves you right where you are 100%. If you write God a check for $10 million, I will love you more, but God will love you still right where you are 100%. So please um, consider supporting the chapel ministries. Let me pray to bless our offering. God, may you make the leaders of this church family faithful. May we create more and more opportunities for this church family to step out and love others and serve others and be a living, walking display of your presence in our community, on our streets, and in our hurting city. Bless us today, we pray. Make us faithful, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.